Oh, good to see you all here this morning. Wow, big crowd. We're going to have to do something about that, maybe. Um, and I don't mean I'm going to preach horribly so you all leave. <laughs> I was thinking of something more positive and encouraging than that. Um, we're continuing in our series on uh, experiencing God, and if you're in a small group and you've been meeting every week, again, um, Good job continuing through. We're near, this is week 10, so we're almost at the end of the 12 weeks. And um, the main thing about this Experiencing God uh, series is that we, uh, to know and do the will of God. And so we experience God by knowing God's will, and then by doing that. And it's through obedience that we get to know God and we get to experience Him. That's when we really experience God is in obedience. And last week, Uh, You could go back on the website, listen to last week again. We really talked about our own personal obedience. When we obey, when we hear God's word and when we obey, or when we read God's word and we obey in our our personal obedience. This week, in week 10, you're studying the obedience of the church as a whole. And so it's talking about the obedience of God's people as God's people. And uh, one of the things that we've been talking about as elders, as we always talk about, but even more especially as we're going through this series is, How are we as a church knowing and doing the will of God? Where is it, and this is sort of the language that you've been hearing, where do we see God working and how do we join him in where he is working and is where we see God working our invitation to join him in obedience in that work? And if you think about Lakeside, you think about any church that's been around for 115 or 116 years like Lakeside has, it's a a story of obedience, I mean, there was an obedience back in 1901, I think it was, or 1902, when the first people decided that Halliburton needed a Baptist church, and they got together, and they started meeting in a home, and they just obeyed God and even planting the seeds of that church. Then in 1903, when they actually built the church, which is over at Baked and Battered, you know, so if you've had some tasty fish and chips over at Baked and Battered, you were sitting in the old church that used to be across the lake from us. And uh, so they were obedient in building that church. And then they were obedient when God called them to move and to build a little bit larger church and in a different part of town and have this location that we're in now that we could build onto. And they were obedient in calling pastors and obedient in planting ministries. And so Lakeside has been a church of, that's shown obedience over well over a hundred years now. You know, you were obedient in getting this uh, addition built onto this this building was a was a step of obedience and faith, seeing where God is working and then joining God where He was already working and then seeing God bless and experiencing the power and the the, the blessing of God in that obedience. Um, you know, obedience more recently. Um, you know, stepping out and hiring um, staff like Elena and like Chris in terms of reaching uh, young people and reaching youth, you know, I mean, hiring me four and a half years ago, I'm assuming, I'm hoping that was a step of obedience on your part. Um, Otherwise, we have some tough questions to answer if it wasn't. Um, But these are all steps of obedience that churches make. And um, we see the blessing uh, from those steps of obedience. Um, One thing that popped into my head just this morning, uh, if you were here when I came, so September 1st I came, and you were here at that time, part of this church, attending this church, can you just raise your hand if you were here when I came? Oh yeah, so many of you. Now, if you came after I came, and you came after I came four and a half years ago, can you raise your hand if you're new here? Yeah, so it's almost 50-50. Some of you don't know where you were at that time. (laughs) 
and, and we, we have counselors that can help you afterwards <laughs> with that. So, But yeah, as you step out in obedience and as you obey, there's just, there, God blesses and, and, and blesses his people. And that's what we're looking at today is, is that as a people, and this is very practical, and uh, if you look in your bulletin, your little handout for the, for the week, um, it's very practical this week. It's super practical. It's basically going through the questions that we ask ourselves in this study in terms of obeying God and hearing his voice. I want you this week to be in prayer and as you go through your days to be answering these questions. And I mean literally answering them, writing them down as answers as you pray. These things that we go through to see where God is working. What are we doing as a church? And then I want you to talk about them as a church, I want you to talk about them in your small groups. I want you to talk about them when you get a coffee. I want you to talk about them with us, with the elders, with other ministry leaders. And these are the things that we ask ourselves. We, we go through the list. We, we know that God is always at work around us. God is always working. God's working in Halliburton. God's a redeemer and is always redeeming and restoring and renewing. So we start with knowing that. And then we ask, where do we see that God is working in our midst right now in 2018? And where is God working in Halliburton? Where is God working at Lakeside? What is God doing that we can see that God is doing and then therefore inviting us to join him perhaps in a greater step of obedience? What is the crisis of faith that we must face as a church where we must choose to trust God in that obedience? In other words, what is more than we can imagine? What is more than we can possibly do? What is it that God is bringing us out in a step of faith to say we have to get past this crisis of trust in God and his promises in order to fully obey him? Where does the rubber meet the road in this? What adjustments are we going to have to make to obey? What adjustments will we have to make as a church Sunday by Sunday, week by week? How are things going to change in order to obey God the way he's calling us forward into ministry in the years ahead? And as individuals, what am I going to have to do to adjust? If Lakeside makes these changes, if Lakeside follows God in obedience, what am I going to have to do to adjust my life to do that? And what is it that only God can do in completing this plan of his? right? As a whole church and for each of us individually, where do we say this is impossible without God? And if, if this is the obedience that God's calling us to, then he has to show up or it's not going to happen because we don't want to do what only we can do. And so that's, that's our challenge. Those are the questions that we ask as we go through this. Oh, and then the final one is asking ourselves quite seriously, are we ready to experience God as we step out on obedience? Because if we step out on obedience where he is working with only things that he can do and in faith in his promises and what he will do as we obey, then are we ready for the experience of God that's going to come in that? Because God will show up and we will experience God and we need to be ready for that experience to anticipate, to learn more about God, to anticipate... To, to just experience more of God in obeying his plan as we do it together as a church. So that's what this morning is about. God wants our faith, our trust in his promises to work itself out, itself out through obedience in us. When we, when, we have, when we say we have faith in God, when we say we trust God, then God wants to see that manifest itself or show up in the fact that we actually obey what he says and we trust in his promise. And so we're meant not just as, a, as individuals, as a whole bunch of individual Christians living our own isolated lives, we're meant to do that as a whole church, as a body of Christ, as a people of God, to obey as he guides us. And what I want to do today is just sort of a bit of a narrative story that I hope illustrates this, and I will be in uh, Numbers chapter 13 and 14. So if you have a Bible or if there's one in the seat back in front of you, you can get your Bible, open up to Numbers 13 
and we're going to do Numbers 13 and 14, or tap there on your phone. And uh, just as you're getting there in your Bibles, uh, I'll open up in prayer. Father God, as we look into your word, Lord, you have told us through your Apostle Paul that these things that were written, these books of Moses, the Old Testament, the words of the prophets, these things were written for our encouragement and for our instruction. And so, Lord, we look now to your word. We look to scripture as you have inspired it and written it and preserved it for us. And Lord, we look for encouragement and teaching from these words. In Christ's name, amen. So go way back to Numbers, Numbers 13 and 14. It's probably been a long time since you read Numbers. Um, But uh, at the beginning of Numbers 13, let me just sort of set it up for you. We're at the point in time when Israel is right on the borders of the promised land, okay? The nation of Israel... The nation of Israel is God's chosen people. They're the nation that he has born out of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And they are right on the borders of the promised land. God sent Moses to rescue them out of slavery in Egypt. And he brought the ten plagues on Egypt. And he forced the Egyptians to release his people Israel. And then he brought them out and he parted the Red Sea so that they could escape the Egyptian army. And he's led this million or so people across the desert to Mount Sinai, and he gave them the Ten Commandments and his law, and then he, as he was leading them through the desert to the land that he had promised them, he has brought them water out of rocks, he's brought them bread from heaven, he's brought flocks of quail for them to eat, he's led them as a pillar of cloud and of fire, and God had told them that he would lead them to a land that he would give them as their own, a land that he had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and in which they would inhabit cities that they did not build, and a land that's flowing with milk and honey, promise. A land just full of promise, it says in Deuteronomy, back in Deuteronomy 6.10. And so here they are now, just at the beginning of, of Numbers 13, and they are right on the very borders of that promise that God had made to them. And chapters 13 and 14, we're going to read and, and summarize and see what we can learn about God's people and his promises and the obedience that is right there before them. The promised land is right there. So Numbers 13 says, verse 1, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. And so Moses sent them from the wilderness where they were according to the command of the Lord. And I'm not going to name all the guys, but the spies were chosen, one from each tribe, so that's 12 spies, they go forward. And he sends them into the land. And he sent them out to spy the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up into the Negeb and go up into the hill country and see what the land is. And tell me about the people. Tell me about the cities. Tell me about the land. Tell me, you know, just go check it all out. And so Moses says here at the beginning, here, here we are. God has spoken. God has given us a promise. He said, this is the land that I'm going to give you. So let's go see God's promise. Let's go see what God has gone before us in. See where God is working. See where God wants us to go and what he has in store for us. Where he would have us go, what he would have us do. Moses wants to assess the situation. And I think Moses' intentions are good. He has good intentions here. He's just saying, like, God's brought us here. Let's, let's go ahead and see where God is bringing us. And he, he wants to know what God would have us do. Moses wants to, uh, he, he tells the people to be courageous and not to worry. And the time when they went in there was the, the season of grapes, and they went in and they spied out the land. 
And in verse 25, it says, And at the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. They had seen the land that God had promised to them. So they took their time. They spent 40 days assessing the place that God had promised them, what was there, what to expect, and how they were going to follow God. And then they came back to Moses, verse 26, and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation. This is the whole people of God, okay? This is where I'm going. It's all of God's people are involved in this decision about whether we're going to obey or not. And they showed them the fruit of the land. You remember they were carrying grapes with poles between them because the clusters were so huge. And they told them, we come to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So, so they come back with this amazing report. We've seen the promised land. We've seen where God is leading us. And it is good, right? And they show that fruit so abundant that they had to carry it on poles. And it was flowing with milk and honey, they say. It's like a Dairy Queen commercial over there, right? Like It's just like chocolate and milk and fudge, and it's flowing down mountains of caramely nougat, whatever nougat is, I don't know, but... But that's what they're saying. It's like this amazing place over there. It's like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Like God has promised us something that's amazing. It's so much better than this desert we've been wandering in. So we know the promises of God. We see where God is leading us and it's good. But then in verse 28, However, the people who dwelt in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. Besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negeb, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. Oh, crisis of belief. Right? Crisis of belief here. Crisis of trust. Here it is. But... To go where God is leading us is scary. The promise is good. The land is good. But to go there is frightening. If you're asking us, the people and the cultures and the cities and the enemies and the the hostility towards us where God is leading us is too much. The cities there and their institutions are strong and they have weapons and warriors that are arrayed against God's people and they're superior to us. But then there's this one man who sees the crisis of trust for what it is. It's the opportunity where the whole nation, all the people of God, need to decide if they trust in their own strength or if they trust in God's promise. Because God has said again and again and again, this is the land I've promised. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have told Moses again, this is the land I have as a gift for you. One guy decides whether all the people are going to decide whether they trust God or whether they trust themselves. Whether they fear the culture in front of them, or whether they fear God. This is verse 30. It says, But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Caleb is like, Let's go. God has given us this. We can overcome whatever it is that you've seen. And then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to come up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. And so they brought the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw of it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, and we seemed like ourselves to grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. We felt small, and we're pretty sure they thought we were small. These guys are big, they're tough, they're strong. They're like unbelievable force arrayed against us. And so the doubters here shout down poor Caleb, right? They're saying, these guys are too tough, the task is too hard. And their leadership pulls the 
you know, their leadership as the people who are supposed to be scouting out where God is working and leading the people. They, they pull the whole congregation with them. They pull the whole people of Israel down this path with them. And now there's confusion and fear and there's no unity among God's people because they're listening to all these different voices instead of listening to God's voice. And so you go on to the next chapter. In chapter 14, it says, Then all the congregation... Keep saying, it's always the congregation, the congregation, the congregation. All the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Oh, I wish we had died in the land of Egypt, or that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become his prey. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt, they said to one another. Let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And so they're faced with the... So so they know God's promises. They see where God is leading them. They see where he's working. They have the crisis of faith of whether they're going to believe in God or not believe in God. And and their answer to this crisis of faith is, we are not going to trust and we are not going to make any adjustments to our lives, right? This assembly of God's people does not want to make any adjustments required of God in order to trust and obey him. They literally say, we like slavery better. They literally say, we like the life that we had better. We don't want to change the life we had because this life in this new country is scary and we're going to have to do stuff there that's going to be tough. In fact, we would just rather be in the desert or we would rather be back in slavery. We will do anything to stay the way we were rather than make adjustments and rather than change to obey God. We don't want to risk this small little life that we had as slaves in Egypt in order to live the big life that God has in store for us in the promise that he has. And so they just refuse. I'm not adjusting. I'm not changing. I know the promise. I've seen where God wants me to go, but I'm not doing it. And so then Moses, in verse 5, Aaron fall on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation. Moses and Aaron are just begging. They're just pleading with them to reconsider. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, Joshua and Caleb, these guys get it, right? And they were among the people who spied out the land. And they said to the congregation, so they get up and speak to all the people of Israel. And they say, the land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. God promised it. It's ours. What are you guys even talking about? He says, only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land. To disobey God where he's leading us as a people is rebellion. Disobedience is rebellion, right? And Henry Blackaby talked about that a few weeks ago when he was talking about obedience in the the study. He says to not listen to God and to not do as he says is literally rebellion. It's not just passivity, it's open rebellion against our king, our king who's told us to do something. And so Moses and Aaron, they're imploring and begging people to reconsider. And Joshua and Caleb, these young, strong, faithful guys, they are not the top leaders. It's not Moses and Aaron. It's not the rest of the the judges. It's not the rest of the leaders among the people of Israel. It's not the heads of the family. It's these young guys who know and trust in the promise of God. They're not the major players in the story yet. But they come out from the midst of the congregation because the Word of God can come from anybody. The Word of God does not always come from me, very rarely, in fact, other than what comes from Scripture. You know, everything else that I say is just me. The Word of God doesn't come all the time from the elders sitting in a room, you know, trying to think great thoughts for God. 
The Word of God comes from the congregation. The Word of God comes out as He speaks through people who are brave to say, this is the Word of the Lord. This is what God wants us to do. We can do this. This is God's promise. These challenges are nothing. And so when I say it's very practical this week for you to be praying and considering these questions, what is our crisis of faith? Where is God working? Where are we to join Him? What are we to do as a congregation, as Lakeside going forward? I mean that sincerely. All of you have a voice in this. Because God speaks, not necessarily all the time through the leaders, but through those who have heard and are faithful to obey. But they're just imploring God's people, don't rebel against God. Because that is what his disobedience is. It's rebellion. It's telling the king, I won't move when you say move. I won't serve where you say serve. You've shown me where you're working, and I'm supposed to join you, but I don't want to. And then all the congregation, in verse 10, after they get up and say this to everybody, Inspiring speech, guys. All the congregation said to stone them with stones. Okay, that didn't go as they planned, right? So I hope that's not going on this morning, right now as I'm preaching, right? But these guys stepped up and they said, we have to obey, and all the congregation is reaching for rocks to hit these guys. But the people have had their say, and now God's going to speak, right? So the spies have spoken, the people have spoken, Caleb and Joshua have spoken. Everybody's had their say, except God. Now God speaks, it says, but the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? He says, I'll strike them with pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make you a nation greater and more mightier than they. And then Moses begins to pray and begins to beseech the Lord, and they have a conversation there. But basically what's going on here is God says, look, I've proven myself faithful in the past. Right, This people of Israel, I've proven myself over and over and over again to them, and they still won't believe me. They've seen me at work in their own lives. They've seen me at work in the lives of the whole nation. I've done all these things to lead them. And then God basically gives them the Esther talk. He says, I'll just disinherit this bunch if they're not going to obey me, and I'm going to raise up another nation through you, and I'm going to give them the promise. Because all I said was I was going to give a promise through Abraham's descendant. You're a descendant of Abraham. I'll just, all these guys, goodbye. If they don't want me, I'll raise up a new nation. And they'll, and they'll obey me. And I'll give the promise to them. Because my promises are going to be fulfilled whether you're going to step into the gap or not. If they don't obey, others will. And that's what Mordecai basically told Esther. You remember, if you don't do it, somebody else will. But then Moses intercedes again for the congregation and he intercedes for the nation and Moses remembers what the nation has forgotten. Moses knows that the obedience to God's people is about the glory of God. And so he basically asks God for a second chance for the people to demonstrate to the world that God is glorious and God fulfills His promises. He basically says to God, "This, look, our obedience is for your glory and if, if we don't do this or if you... If you take out this nation, then Egypt and all these other nations are going to look and they're going to say, ah, you see, they, they didn't obey God and you won't get glory. So just give us another chance, God, and, and, and we'll do it. We'll get there for your glory. He says, now if you kill this people, then the nations who have heard your fame will say it's because the Lord is not able to bring his people into the land that he swore to give to them and he's killed them in the wilderness. And Moses says, I, I don't want your name to not be glorified, God, so give us a chance here so that we can glorify you. None of the men... So, so God relents. He says, Truly as I live... I'm down in verse 21 now. Truly as I live, and all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. None of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land I swore to give to their fathers. 
and none of those who despise me shall see it. So God says, okay, I won't start over. Moses, you convinced me I'm not going to start over. But none of this disbelieving generation will be around when my people obey and receive the promise. This generation had its chance to obey and they would not trust me and they would not adjust their lives and they would not step ahead in faith and so they are not going to see the blessing of my promise fulfilled. That's the danger of not listening to the word of God wherever it comes from as a congregation and stepping forth in obedience. He says, that's fine. If this generation won't obey, there will be a generation that obeys. And that other generation will see my promise. And that other generation will receive the blessing that I've promised. He says, I'll save it for the faithful young ones like Joshua and Caleb. Their generation is going to see the promise. And then there's a big chunk of text here which I'm going to summarize. He says, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land in which he went. He talks again about this wicked congregation grumbling against him. And he says, those little ones, those wives and those children, those little ones that you said were going to become prey, I'm going to bring them in. They're not going to be prey. They're going to be conquerors. So they're going to grow up in the desert, and you were going to be afraid that there was something bad was going to happen to them. But after they get done, they're wandering in the desert with their mom and their dad, and, and that generation is gone. They're going to come back and not be prey. They're going to be conquerors, and they're going to know the land that you rejected because they will overthrow. And you guys are going to be shepherds in the wilderness for 40 years, and you're going to suffer for your faithlessness. And surely I will do this to this wicked congregation who are gathered against me today. And so God just emphasizes disobedience is wickedness. It's rebellion. It's true there might be a cost to obey God's plan for our lives. And as we as a congregation over the weeks and months ahead really pray and seek and see where God is working and decide if we are going to adjust ourselves and step out in obedience, we might be counting the cost of saying, what is it costing us to obey God in that way? And there will be a cost to obey God, but there is a cost to disobeying God. And that's what Israel wasn't calculating here. There's a cost to not obeying God. It's 40 years in the wilderness or it's slavery back in your old life in Egypt. And whatever it is that God asks us for, He's going to bless a thousand times more. If we don't trust God and follow Him, we fall back into our old, small, captive lives in bondage that we were in before without experiencing what God had in store for us or even experiencing God, far more important, experiencing God Himself. So when Moses told these words in verse 39, when Moses told these words to all the people of Israel, the people mourned greatly. And they rose early in the morning and went up to the heights of the hill country saying, well, here we are. We will go into the place that the Lord has promised for we have sinned. But Moses says, why are you transgressing the command of the Lord when that will not succeed? Do not go up for the Lord is not among you. You're going to be struck down by your enemies. So now this is interesting too. This is this whole disunity divided. The people are listening to the spies, listening to Joshua and Caleb, listening to Moses, not listening to God. God says, forget it. And then some of them are like really upset because they didn't obey. So they're like, okay, well, let's, let's go up to the mountain and go in there. God said, it's our land. Let's go. Moses is like, no, like you had your chance. That is not where God is working anymore. God's not working in the land of promise for you. Don't go in there. God is not going before you. You're going to try and do this in your own strength. You have this great idea. Oh, you're going to, we're going to obey God. You know, we we can do it. We can manage it. God's like, no, you are only going to do it because I was in it. Now you're trying to do it on your own. It's not going to work. 
And Moses is like, why would you do this now? Why would you try to do in your own strength what God has to do for us? He says, you're going you're gonna to get wiped out. You'd be crazy. Don't do what God can do by your own strength. And they're like, no, we can do it. We're going to go and do it on our own. And so verse 44 says, they presume to go up to the heights of the hill country, although neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed out of the camp. And then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in the hill country came down and defeated them and pursued them all the way to Hormah. I don't know where Hormah is. I'm presuming it's a long way. Right? They chased them all. They like drove them out of the country, chased them like to the ends of the earth, right? Moses wasn't with them. The ark wasn't with them. God wasn't with them. And they're defeated and turned back by these guys. They chased them down because they tried to do it in their own strength without God. They, they missed the chance when God was going before them to work where God was working, and so they tried to obey in their own strength, and it just didn't work. They got defeated. So cool, cool story, Paul. <laughs> what, what does it all mean? Right? Like I, ho- I hope you were following along. I hope the metaphor was obvious enough right? as, as, as we're learning from this. right? I don't think I was subtle with it. God's people on the very border of God's promise did not trust him. They were not ready to change their lives. They were not ready to make adjustments. They did not have unity and agreement, and they were still clinging tightly to the old plans for their life. They said, we had a plan for our life, right? I I was born in slavery in Egypt, and I figured that I was going to make bricks the rest of my life and set aside a nice little nest egg of maybe an egg, and you know that was going to be my life in slavery. And I didn't want to change that. Right? They were still clinging to their old life. Or they were inventing their own plans for how God was, how they were going to do things without God. And how they were going to do God's work without Him. And there was no unity. Some were going, some were staying, some said, let's do it, some couldn't. And they just weren't ready to make the adjustments and pay the price it was to obey God in order to see His reward. And so they end up wandering around. I mean, the people of Israel are still surviving. The people of Israel are still worshiping. The people of Israel are still learning about God. People of Israel are still God's people. God doesn't abandon them. They are still His people, but for 40 years they settle for life in the desert rather than in the land of promise. If they had humbly sought God and heard His voice and trusted and been willing to obey, they would have had that land of promise. But they failed at the crisis of belief. They failed in the decision to adjust their lives. They failed in trusting in the promise of God. They failed to obey where God was leading. And so they were left to wander. So what do we do as a church then? What does Lakeside do? What we have to do is not be like Israel, right? As the Apostle Paul said, he said, these things are written down for our instruction. And so this is our instruction. Don't be like Israel in this case. There's good days for Israel and bad days for Israel. This was a bad day for Israel. Right? Don't be like this. And instead, let's get answers to these questions so that we can obey. And so I'm back to where we come in, how, what we do. I want you, I seriously want you to look at that piece of paper in your bulletin this week, and I want you to answer those questions. Where do we see God working at Lakeside and in Halliburton? Where do we see God at work where we say, God's doing something there? And then, is that our invitation to join Him? And how do we hold loosely to our own ideas and desires and ask this more, even more important question maybe, how does God want us to join him there? How does he want us to do it? Because how we think we might see where he's working and join him is maybe totally different than how God would do it, right? 
Like, if I was going to conquer a city, I wouldn't march around it seven times blowing trumpets. Wouldn't be my first choice. But that's how God wanted to do it, right? And Joshua, one of those two smart guys that listened to God, he knew to listen to God and do it his way. And so we might see something, and I'm not even going to say what they are because I don't want to give you ideas. I want you to pray and think about where God is working. But we might see where God is working somewhere in our church or our community, and we might have bright ideas about how we think we join him. I don't even want to go there because I don't want to go ahead of where God is going like those other fools that went into the land without God. I only want to go there if God's in it. And he's his idea, his way. And so we, where is God working? And then how do we join? What are we supposed to be doing? How are we supposed to be joining God in that? And then what do we have to trust him in? What is our crisis of belief, that thing that only God can do? And what are the changes that we would have to make as a church and as individuals to join God in that? Like, I'm being selfish here. I want answers to all those questions from you guys. Because as a congregation, as the body, as the people of God, we have to be in unity on this. And we have to hear from everybody. And so talk about it when you have coffee this week. Talk about it in your small groups. Pray about it. Write the answers down. Talk to your elders. Talk to me. Let's just get this conversation going. Let's talk about where God is working and how we can join him. And from that, how we can experience God and his blessing. Because we are a faithful generation. That's what we want to be. Let's pray.